Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Uh, but we're in the end of this series called Rhythms of Life. Uh, and so we've talked uh, so far uh, over the last five weeks, we've talked about creating rhythms in your life that small things you can do that at the end of the day, uh, you know, weeks, months, years from now make a huge difference. Uh, large ships turn on small rudders, large doors open on small hinges. And so what are the rudders and hinges that we can insert into our life that eventually are going to make a big difference. And so this is the conclusion um, of the night. You should have on the way in received uh, this this sheet right here. Uh, if you did not receive that, maybe raise your hands. Um, if you could actually stand up and do the chicken dance. If you did not receive it, start doing the chicken dance and they will bring one to you, but just don't stop until um, they bring you a paper. Uh, so I think Pastor Phil is grabbing one. But, uh, you know, so tonight we're talking about rhythms for screens and media. I do need to just point out uh, the irony uh, that we're talking about screens and media on the night that there is no screens and there will be no media. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's going to be a good night, I promise. Uh, and then it's uh, also a little ironic that I'm preaching about screens from an iPad, uh, also to people who are watching online on a screen. But it's going to be a great night. We've been in a series called Rhythms, but I need to give a precursor. Because we've talked so far, we've talked about creating rhythms in life around prayer, rhythms in life around rest, rhythms in life about reading your word, rhythms in life uh, about all of these different things. But I think we miss the mark if we forget what it's all about. Because if we just create a bunch of rhythms, we end up exhausted because we just did stuff for Jesus. Like if you read your Bible every day, but you don't live out what it says, that doesn't count. Like if, if we say, man, I did my 10 chapters a day. I'm reading through the New Testament every, every month. That's awesome. But you're not actually like living what it's saying. You missed the mark. Like if you pray in tongues all the time, but the stuff you say in English is mean, doesn't count. You're like, but I pray in tongues so much. He's like, yeah, but you're a jerk. You know, like it doesn't count if you create rhythms, but you forget what it's all about. If you like protect your Sabbath and you say, I never work on a Saturday, I never do that, but you still live a life like the world revolves around you, it doesn't count. It doesn't work. Yes, you know, do, do whatever your motivation might be. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not like discounting. Yes, we're all, you know, broken people doing our best. But at the end of the day, we need to remember what these rhythms are all about. If you go to church, like the church building every Sunday, you never miss a week, but you're not in anyone's life, we miss the mark. And so when we're talking about rhythms, a rhythm is only as good as your willingness to let it transform you. A rhythm is only as effective as your openness to letting God use it to change your heart. Otherwise, you're just doing stuff. And I don't want to get to the end of my life. I don't want to stand before Jesus one day and say, Jesus, look at all the stuff I did for you. Aren't you impressed by me? Aren't I so great? And Jesus says, yeah, you did a bunch of stuff, but I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. Sure, you did stuff for me. Hats off, 
but I didn't know you. So we need to remember what it's all about because we want to uh, live lives that glorify God. And so tonight, uh, it seems a little off topic, but it really isn't. We're talking about creating rhythms around screens and media. The average American, and I'm sure not you, but the average American spends over seven hours a day looking at a screen. Over seven hours. So if you add up uh, checking your phone, you add up uh, watching Netflix when you get home from work, you add up whatever uh, screen you're looking at at work, you know, whatever, seven hours a day. uh, And most of us are only awake for 14, 15 hours. So we're spending 50% of our time uh, watching a screen. And chances are you interact with a screen more than the important people in your life. I'm at work during the day. I usually, I might spend, if you add it all up, five or six hours with my family a day. But if I'm spending seven hours on a screen, I need to actually be aware of how I interact with screens and media, technology and phones. Uh, so at the end of the night, just, just so you know, at the end of the night, we will, we have some hammers. You're going to bring your iPhone up to the front and we're just going to smash them. We're just going to take care of this tonight. You will never have a screen problem again, and you will still be making payments on a phone you don't own for the next five years. I'm, I'm just kidding. So that, that is not the goal tonight. Um, but I do want to kind of give you a little bit of insight or a little uh, idea. Just let me tell you a story. In 2010, Steve Jobs uh, introduced the iPad to the world. So at the, the Apple conference, uh, you know, they release either the new edition of something. In this case, it was a whole new line. And so he has on his screen, he has an iPhone on one side and he has a laptop on the other. And he says, if we were to create a third category, it has to be as powerful as a laptop and as, uh, as accessible and easy to use as a smartphone. So what could it be? And so he tells, he spends an hour talking about how incredible the iPad is. It's as powerful as a laptop. It's as fun to use as a phone and all this stuff. He spends the entire year of 2010 with marketing campaigns and how incredible this device is. At the end of 2010, uh, he tells the New York Times in an interview that his kids have never touched an iPad. They have strict rules in screen time in their, uh, in their home. It says, uh, he says, we limit how much technology our kids use in the home. Chris Anderson, who is a former editor for Wired, which is a magazine all about technology, enforced strict time limits in every device in his home, quote, because we have seen the dangers of technology firsthand. Evan Williams founded Twitter, uh, bought hundreds of books for his sons, but uh, refused to let them have an iPad. So what did they know that we didn't? Because the list goes on. These tech, you know, gurus, these tech influencers uh, that are making sure that we have screens in our life uh, had strict limits in their own lives and in their families' lives. And so what is it that they knew? I think that, you know, I, I don't know their, their faith situation, but I think there are some biblical truths uh, surrounding this sort of idea. And, and I think about in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And so uh, you, you can either grab it on your phone. You that's ironic. You can, uh, you know, if you have your paper Bible, all three of you, thank you for bringing that. You can read it on that, or you can just listen to me say it. I will uh, say 2 Corinthians three eighteen. It says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So he's painting this picture that as we uh, look at God with unveiled faces and we behold him, we're becoming transformed to be like him. And so a takeaway from here is we become what we behold. And so the thing that we spend our time fixated on, the thing that we spend our time and our attention focused on, whether we realize it or not, we start to become like that. You think about, uh, you know, your, uh, the old adage, you know, show me your, your top five friends and I'll show you your future. You know, who are the people you surround yourself with? Because whether you realize it or not, you start to become like the surroundings that you are a part of. Uh, The same idea, you become what you behold. And so there are three parts to tonight's talk, three pieces of tonight's talk for those fill-in-the-blank lovers. I just put a couple of those on the sheet because I know you love it. Uh, And so if I was, I normally don't title, I guess, sermons or talks in, uh, you know, but I sort of felt like it. So movement number one tonight is called driving a semi-truck. Part two is called Metallica cassette tapes. And part three is called Why I Believe Toy Story is Real. Driving a semi-truck, Metallica cassette tapes, and why I believe Toy Story is real. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you don't just have a, a better way for us to die, but you have a better way for us to live. And so, God, tonight, help us live your way as the creator of the human experience that created a life full of flourishing, fulfillment, and glorifying of the creator. Lord, help us live that life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'll tell you um, today, uh, this is exciting. Uh, Our family got a new vehicle today. So that's pretty cool. Um, And so I've I've been driving, uh, some people call it a hoopty. Uh, I've been driving something that, you know, is, uh, I'll call it a faith enhancer um, because you, you pray that you're going to make it to your destination. Uh, and so we, we got a new vehicle. Um, and so if I had the keys uh, in, in my hand, uh, it, it matters what you're driving, right? It matters uh, what they go to. So if I say vehicle, it could be anything from a race car to a bulldozer, right? And, and you treat those things differently, You drive a race car different than you drive a bulldozer, different than you drive a semi-truck, different than you drive a minivan, right? You have keys, but these different things have different purposes and you need to approach it differently. So I would say, I think that uh, sometimes we think that what's in our pocket, whether it's your cell phone or maybe you use an iPad or a laptop more often, uh, and we see it as something that maybe is entertaining or something we can engage with, but I would venture to say it's a little bit more like a semi-truck. Semi-trucks are incredibly helpful, incredibly powerful, because without semi-trucks, you probably wouldn't have the food in your fridge that you have in your fridge. Without semi-trucks, maybe the clothes that you're wearing wouldn't be at the store that you got them from. Without semi-trucks, things that you ordered that are across the country uh, couldn't make it to your door. Semi-trucks are incredibly helpful, incredibly powerful, and serve the way we live our lives. But with the keys in the wrong person's hand, it becomes an 80,000 pound death trap. 
It's terrifying. You think about with a trained person, right, Daniel? I mean, as a driver, the right person at the hand is going to make sure that somebody gets what they need and it's going to happen safely. It's going to be efficient. But in the wrong person's hand, that semi-truck just became a, a, an 80,000-pound weapon right? That is catastrophic. And so in the wrong person's hand, because what you hold in your hand, get this, the GPS on your phone is 3,000 times more powerful than the GPS that got the first person to the moon. 3,000 times. The information you have access to on your phone is more information than the president of the United States had in 1999. We have, you have access to more. This is a powerful thing. This is a semi-truck. And I think sometimes we can take, a, we can read a book or we can like listen to a podcast and we go, that's it. I'm joining an Amish community. This is the devil. We're going to come smash our iPhones. I don't think that's the answer. Um, I don't, I really, really don't. I think that there are massive benefits to technology that are created to help you live a life that glorifies God, that honors people. I think for me, just if I could list three, this isn't exhaustive, but three massive benefits in my life that my, the technology in my life helps me. It helps me keep rhythms. We're talking about rhythms. I have reminders on my phone to pray. I have reminders, my alarm clock every day says, maybe today, Lord, to remind me that Jesus is coming and it might be today. I have reminders on my phone. It helps me keep rhythms. My Google calendar reminds me when the important people in my life's birthday is. It helps me keep rhythms. Number two, a massive benefit is it helps me be connected to people. Helps me be connected to friends and family back home. We're from Washington State. And it's a long way away. Without our cell phone, that gap would be so much bigger. It helps us grow and learn. You think about uh, there are courses that are available to you and ways for you to grow to a new level that you could not do 10 years ago. Even more so, you have access to your Bible all the time. Think about this. There are people using technology, watching a screen right now, investing in their relationship with God through a screen. We couldn't do that 10, 15 years ago. Welcome. You are using a screen for a good purpose. But there's also a few Maybe precautions I would give that I think in the time that I've spent, because uh, I've, I've really dedicated a lot of time in, in the last five, ten years to this topic. It's really, really important to me. I think three game changers for me, and this is the precautions to keep in mind. Three game changers for me. One, excessive use of screens leads to depleted emotional well-being. And let me tell you why. This, is, this message is not, hey, screens are the devil. Go throw away your iPhone. I promise you it's not. But it comes down to what's called pleasure center fatigue. Everything that comes from what you engage with, be it online, on your phone, uh, you know, media, technology, all, all that stuff is designed to keep you there. People are creating entertaining things to make you watch more entertainment. Social media is creating an engaging environment to make you stay on social media. And they're trying to be the most stimulating thing possible. But what happens when your life is centered around stimulation, you start to be completely underwhelmed by your real life. I watch Survivor. I've said it many times. I love Survivor. I love Survivor. I love 
Survivor. But if I binge watch Survivor for a week, think about the lack of adventure I feel when I step outside my room. My life seems so boring. I mean, they're talking about blind sides and voting people out and challenges and, you know, they're making shelters. And I'm like, I'm driving to work. I'm going to stop by Starbucks, you know, like it. But when we invest our life on things created to stimulate us, we start to become underwhelmed by our actual life. And you think about, you know, yeah, it's a silly analogy talking about Survivor, but Everything, uh, like when you engage with your phone, let me just give you a couple examples. It is created for dopamine and oxytocin releases all the time. And email, when you receive an email, you realize, whether you realize it or not, I'm important and someone wants to talk to me. There's something that someone has to say, and now I have a news article. When you get a, you know, a news article notification, if you're really into the news, you go, I'm going to be informed. I'm an informed and interesting person and I need to read it because I need to have that conversation. I need to be that guy who knows that thing. When you have a notification from your social media, a like, a follow, whatever you might be on, he says, I'm valuable. People wanna know about my life. People care about me. And so people create these systems that are causing or or, or, uh, intended to trigger us over and over and over. So the pleasure centers in our brain start to become so overwhelming and so overwhelmed that when we look at regular life, we're underwhelmed and think our life is less good than it is. And so it's called pleasure center fatigue. When we are so engaged in screens and media, we start to become emotionally unhealthy and underwhelmed. The second thing for me that was a game changer, again, this isn't exhaustive, but the second thing for me uh, is the negative impacts on your sleep. When you engage with your smartphone, when you engage with your laptop, minutes before you go to bed, so many people scroll through Instagram uh, right onto their pillow. Uh, What it's doing is it's actually the blue light in your screen is hindering the, uh, not uh, dopamine levels, the, the melatonin levels, the thing that releases in your brain to say, hey, you can go to sleep now. Because all of your life, blue light means, hey, the sun is rising and the day is beginning. And so your brain is conditioned to wake up at that time. And so when you're watching TV right before bed, when you're on your phone right before bed, your brain isn't releasing melatonin. And so even if you don't have a problem going to sleep right away, you're not getting as good of sleep as you would have. And so you have the the emotional implications, the sleep implications. And for me, I just think it's sort of messed up. The third one is the monetized attention span. When you engage in social media, They're creating an environment to keep you there so they can sell your attention to the highest bidder. They are set, whenever you see a sponsored ad, whenever you see whatever, it's because Facebook or TikTok or Twitter or whatever says, hey, brand, I can sell you Delvin's attention. You're gonna pay me and he's gonna get sucked into to this thing. And I'm like, dude, I'm not about that. Like that's, that's just not, that's just not for me. So those are three things, again, Point is not to smash your iPhone. This is just in the first part, which is called driving a semi-truck. And I, I think about in 1 Corinthians 7, 23, the New Living Translation says, God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Romans 6, 16, just a, 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 a book earlier, says this, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, 
you're slaves to the one that you obey. I don't want to be enslaved to anything or anyone but Jesus. A slave, if you look at the definition, is a person who is the legal property of another and is forced to obey them. I can tell you, if I'm holding my iPhone, I would rather enslave it than let it enslave me. I would rather uh, this, like rhythms around your phone, uh, like I would rather uh, have this serve me than me serve this. Like that this would leave me, lead me to a life of fruitfulness, fulfillment, and a life of glorifying God uh, than me pay, you know, someone else getting paid for my attention span. I'm just not into it. I mean, maybe I'm not, I'm not trying to judge you, not telling you how to live your life. Just I'm not into that. I don't want someone making money off of my eyeballs. And so rhythms around your phone might look like this. It might look like charging it in another room. It sounds simple, but when you go to bed, Charging it in another room. It kind of forces you to have some distance uh, between you and it. Another one might be uh, designating no phone zones. If there's a room in your house, uh, if it's your bedroom or if it's whatever, it's a no phone zone. Let's move on to piece number two. This piece is called Metallica cassette tapes. Metallica cassette tapes. And here's where we turn a corner a little bit. Um, So right now, if you had, um, I think the first Metallica cassette tape it's worth almost $1,000 right now. Um, for, you know, back in the 80s, uh, you could sell for about $1,000 cassette tape, or $1,000. Uh, but I will tell you where you could find a lot of Metallica cassette tapes. Burned and melted at the bottom of a summer camp bonfire from the 90s when we all learned that rock and roll is the devil. If you have a Metallica cassette tape, you're going to hell. So throw it in the fire Uh, or you're going to be in the fire yourself forever. There are Metallica cassette tapes, I am convinced, melted to the bottom of summer camp bonfires across America. And that's what I'm not making a pitch to do. You think about at the end of like Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's program, you know, you have the epic moment. We're all going to cut our credit cards. Snip, snip, snip. We're all going to like, you know, smash our iPhones. We're all going to like throw our laptops off a bridge. That's not the point. I, I think for me and kind of my approach to technology and what I might present to you is the goal tonight is not to get you to throw away your iPhone, but we need to put technology in its proper place. It's not uh, about uh, rejecting technology, but it's finding its proper place and finding the proper place where it's something that serves you rather you serving it. Andy Crouch uh, in uh, his book, TechWise Family, which is great if you're kind of walking through whether you're a a head of household and leading your family or if you just want to build a healthy screen culture, TechWise Family is what it's called. Uh, And so... He says this, he gives a little table of, uh, of five um, ways to know if it's in its proper place. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us bond with the real people we've been given to love. It's out of its proper place when we end up bonding with people at a distance like celebrities who we'll never meet. It's in its proper place when it starts great conversations. It's out of place when it prevents us from talking with one another and listening to one another. It's in its proper place. When it, and I'll, if anyone's taking notes, we, I have, get ready for this, notes that you can download online right at the end. I'll give you the link. It's there. Not going to give you the link right now because none of you are going to listen to me. You're going to be reading the notes. So if you're like scribbling, 
it's coming. If it helps us acquire a skill and mastery of domains that are the glory of human culture, it's out of its proper place when we let technology replace the development of skill with passive consumption. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us cultivate awe for the created world we're a part of and, a res and responsible to steward. It's out of its proper place when it keeps us from engaging the wild and wonderful nature with all our senses. It's in its proper place when we use it with intention and care and it's out of its proper place when it is the decider of its own limits. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us engage with a more full life and it's out of place when we use it to escape our problems or difficult life situations. Along with this I guess, point or movement or piece, whatever you want to call it, of the Metallica cassette tape. I would present, I think sometimes people, um, especially maybe in the evangelical Christian world, uh, say that this is an immoral thing. The internet is, is bad. It, it is. But ultimately, wires and, and circuits and things like that, they're not moral agents. And they can't make decisions. So I would actually pose uh, the, the thought that your technology is an amoral supporting role in the narrative of your life. Hosted and managed by an immoral person. The iPhone didn't go make you watch something crazy. The iPhone was a vehicle for what was in your heart that wanted to watch something crazy. And so, uh, for, so for so many, uh, we can blame, you know, something, oh, the, the internet made me do this or it made me say that thing on Twitter, made me bash that person, it, it made me do whatever. But I think that it can either be used for something bad or it can be used for something Good. I was in a conversation today over coffee with a friend and we were talking about social media. We were talking about all this stuff. And what he does on Saturdays is he says on his Instagram story, he says, hey, tell me a win from this week. What was something good that happened? And he gives out Starbucks gift cards. So he just says, hey, I got a Starbucks gift card for anybody who has a win for the week. Uh, it's, you know, a tool uh, that, that people can use to spread the gospel. It's a tool that people uh, can use to have meaningful conversations. And so I would present that technology is an amoral uh, supporting character in the narrative of your life because you, you think also uh, technology, things, you know, uh, that uh, whether it's media, Netflix or, or whatever, there are things that add value to your life and there are things that take away value for your life. And so uh, engaging with this, uh, it's a lot like driving a semi-truck it's a lot like a Metallica cassette tape uh, that we now uh, have keys to something powerful and a decision to make with what we do, do about it. You have keys to something powerful like a semi-truck, but you need to make a decision with what you do about it like a Metallica cassette tape. If you have a Metallica cassette tape, I know you're on eBay right now seeing if you can like sell it. Just wait. You just do that at home. I'm, I'm sure that that's, maybe I'm just ADD like that. Uh, so, Ultimately, technology can serve you or you can serve 
it. I want to use the things in my life to help me live a life postured towards God, open to transformation, and that gives glory to the creator. The third movement point piece uh, is called Why I Believe Toy Story is Real. I believe Toy Story is real because there's evidence for it in my home. I, I wasn't a believer, and then I had kids. I was not a believer in Toy Story. I thought it was fiction, but somehow magically, at the end of the day, toys that were put away are everywhere. The only conclusion I can come to is that they are alive. And where we put them the night before, they're no longer there. And they are exactly where you're planning on stepping. Especially the sharp ones, the Legos, the action figures, the dolls. They come to life. I believe Toy Story is real because in my home, the things that were in their proper place somehow escape their proper place and find themselves everywhere taking over my home. It happens uh, in, I think, maybe any parent's home uh, that the things that were in their proper place in the beginning of the day find their way out of their proper place and into the place that's inconvenient for you. And I think that this, in the same way, technology in any domain of our life has the same way of doing doing it. If we don't have the rhythm of every night when the kids go to bed, tidying up and putting it back in its proper place, another day goes by and it doesn't get better. And another day goes by and it really doesn't get better. If the stuff is the decider of its own limits, it will not decide restraint. It will not choose to stay in its proper place. And that's what this series is all about, creating rhythms creating rhythms and not letting, in this case, screens and media decide what your limits are on them. And uh, whether it's uh, the amount, I don't know what your thing is. Maybe you don't give anything about social media, but your email just won't stop pinging you. Maybe you really don't care about your email, but you need to catch up on your show. Your latest, you know, the latest episode just came out. You need to see it. Maybe you don't care about the episode, uh, but you are, are chasing the next like. You're chasing the next follow because you're trying to build your platform. I don't know what it is for you, but I think we all have something that draws us like a gravitational pull to affirmation, to status, to, to validation, to entertainment, to escapism. The screen offers us something that points us to a hole in us that can only be filled by God. I think C.S. Lewis uh, says that, that all sin, all idols, are an illegitimate means to fulfill a legitimate need. And so we use these tools to escape or to, to gain something that only God can give us. But if you look to the tool to decide its proper place, it will not choose to stay there. And so we need to set up rhythms where I remain the master of my phone and the phone is not the master of me. I need to create boundaries for myself because I know that I'm not that strong. And I know uh, I'll just be hanging out and while 
there's a show going on, and while there's something on my laptop, I'm still scrolling Instagram. Like, there's, I don't know why and I don't know how, but if it's left in its own, uh, you know, power, it will not choose restraint. So we need to put lasting rhythms to keep it in its proper place. And I would ask you, before I give maybe some suggestions, I would ask you, where do you think your technology has gotten out of its proper place? Like I said, I don't know your, your thing. I don't know your vice. I don't know the thing that, that the gravitational magnetic pull from your hands to your phone or your hand to the remote or your hands to the computer. I don't know what it is. But where has it found its way into an improper place? Is your late night binge watching, escaping from your day? Is your chasing on social media, your engagement in your email, this quest for validation? Where has it found an improper place in your life? Because I think I might have some suggestions for rhythms that you can do. And so the point, if you've never been in this series, pretty much we sort of end with what we've been calling a test drive. And we've said, hey, we're not committing for the rest of our lives. You're going to sign something, and now you are forever going to take this action forever. But it's saying for one week, everyone say one week, I'm going to give it a shot. For one week, I'm going to give it a shot. And when we talked about prayer, I'm going to create a prayer rhythm in my life just to give it a shot. See how it goes. And if we get a week in and it's just not working, that's okay. No commitment. Just, you know, you got the seven-day money-back guarantee. Uh, You're just saying seven days, I'm going to try the shoes on, see how they fit. And so I'm going to give you a couple ideas. I'm going to read through them once. And then with, you know, no screens, you can't really, like, take a picture of it. Uh, It is going to be on the notes. I'll give you the link in a second. Um, I think it's on the notes. Never mind. I'm just going to say it. And it's probably on the notes, I think. I'm pretty sure. And so uh, let me read them. And just right now, ask the Holy Spirit, God, just highlight one in my mind. Like, let something stick out and say, that's the one I'm going to give a shot this week because I think they're doable. Rhythm idea. One hour a day of no screens. One hour a day. Phones away, laptops put away, Netflix is off. One hour a day. Another idea, no screens 15 minutes before bed and 15 minutes after you wake up. No screens 15 minutes before bed, 15 minutes after. Another idea, Bible before phone in the morning. I'm not going to look at my phone until I open my Bible. Another idea, charge your phone in another room. Charge your phone in another room. Another one is use a paper Bible. If you're used to using your phone, what you do every day is you train your brain that what's on your phone isn't substantial and it isn't content rich. You're training your brain that it's, you know, somebody's content, it's someone's life, I'm going to scroll if it's not interesting. And so when you have your phone in your hand or an iPad in your hand, uh, you've already trained your brain that what you're reading doesn't really matter. And so an idea is use a paper Bible. Uh, Two more. One is designate a no phone zone in your home. Maybe it's your your dining room where you eat dinner. Uh, Maybe it's your bedroom. Uh, Where's going to be this week? This week only. This week only, where's a no phone zone going to be? 
here's one that I've recommended, or sorry, had recommended. I haven't done this. I think it would be awesome. Uh, this is like 2.0. If you're like, all that stuff was, was baby stuff. An hour a day, a day a month, and a week a year. Sounds a little hardcore. An hour a day with no phone, a day a month with no phone, and a week a year. If the Holy Ghost is like, that's you, praise God, I think that'd be awesome. So I'm going to walk through just one more time. I'll read it way faster than I just did. One idea, one hour a day of no screens. One is no screens 15 minutes before bed and 15 minutes after you wake up. Another one is Bible before phone in the morning. Another one is charge your phone in another room. Another one is no screens before double digits. Oh, I forgot to say that one. You could say, I'm not going to do it uh, before 10 a.m. Um, another one is use a paper Bible. Another one is designate a no phone zone in your home. And another one is an hour a day, a day a month, a week a year. Let's take a moment. Just, just think about it. Take, just take 30 seconds right now and think about, God, which one should I give a shot this week? What's realistic? What's helpful? We'll take just a second. Just think about it. I don't know how long 30 seconds is, but that felt good. You can take more time later if you want. Um, so, so I want to know, as we kind of come to a conclusion, uh, was there anybody who is like, phone charging in another room sounds great, but the biggest thing I hear, because I've uh, talked to a lot of students, I was a, a, the youth pastor for a while, talked to a lot of students, and they say, what do you think the biggest like, hindrance to charging your phone in another room is? It's your alarm clock. Right? For 99.9% .9 of us, your phone is your alarm clock. So who would give a shot to that one if that wasn't a hindrance? Who would charge your phone in another room? Anybody? Okay, well, I have a gift for you. It's an alarm clock. Um, and so come on down. You get an alarm clock. People are like, what the heck? I was wondering what that, was, that box is about. I got prizes, y'all. We got prizes. Okay, we have one alarm clock winner. Uh, I think this goes with it. It's, it's fancy, so that's yours. You can have that. It kind of lights up on there. Found it on Amazon, real nice. Get yourself something real nice. A little Christmas vacation reference. That movie's not holy. Um, anyway, uh, anybody, any other like uh, people who are like, dude, I've taken an alarm clock. I'll, you know, I'll charge my phone in another room. Any other alarm clock, clock takers? It's going once. Going to, okay, yeah, yeah. We got two alarm clockers right there. Uh, here you go. This is... You can take this one and then the one behind you, you guys just split whichever one is your favorite. You just take yours first and then give it. That's how she won't even know what the other one looks like. Um, you just pick your favorite one. Uh, who is, is willing to make a no phone zone in your, in your home? Who's willing to make a no phone zone? All right, Daniel, I have a gift for you. This is a cell phone jail. It is a jail for your cell phone. You can put it in the no phone zone just to help you to create a rhythm, a boundary around your media to say there's a lock in there. It's a little, you know, cell phone. Give it up for Daniel, everybody. 
So I hope tonight, I hope tonight there was something that walking away, you said, I can, I can just engage this a little bit different. Again, it is not about denying technology. It's not about smashing your iPhone. It's not about any of that stuff. It's helping be mindful of putting technology in its proper place in our lives. It's something that serves us, leading us to a life uh, that's not only fulfilled, but it's fruitful. And it's a life that glorifies God, that we become people who are centered around and postured towards God, open to transformation. It's not about doing more stuff. It's not about limiting our screens. Oh, there's another rhythm. That's a good idea. You can set screen time limits on your smartphone. That's for free. Just go for it. That's just have fun. But it's not just about doing stuff. It's about living a life that glorifies God and honors God. So let me pray for you as we dismiss. Jesus, thank you. God, we say right now, you are Lord of our lives. And that means you are the decision maker. You're the decision maker on uh, God, the way we live. You're the decision maker on the things we say, the choices we make. God, you're the decision maker. So help us live lives, as we're talking about on Sunday. Help us make choices that honor you, that glorify you, that people could see our lives and wonder why we live different. God, thank you that you don't love us because we do stuff, but help us live lives that are postured towards you and open to the work you want to do in our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And I almost forgot to say, if you want to get all those notes, if you're like, man, I just, I didn't get to write them all down, you can go to BethelWorld.org slash screens, BethelWorld.org slash screens, and you can just hit download, it goes right there. Another little piece of irony that the notes about limiting screens are available on your screen on the website, but BethelWorld.org slash screens, uh, and, and that's where you can get the rest of the notes. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Uh, we love you.